0: Welcome to Right to Food, the voice of the Food Foundation. I'm Janai and I'm one of the young ambassadors working with the Food Foundation to create better access to good food for everyone. We ambassadors have a vision and we've written the Children's Right to Food Charter calling for government action to tackle child food poverty and obesity. This week we're looking at how a good food bill could create a more resilient system, feeding people better and future-proofing food insecurity in the UK as we face a massive rise in cost of living, food shortages, energy hikes and climate change. The waters are getting very choppy for all of us, but for some of the most vulnerable, it's really scary.
1: It's not in my control and not having that control over my own personal finances and my own future and what I'm able to do with the little money I have is terrifying.
0: As a 20-year-old sports therapist student at one of the best sports universities in the country, me and my housemates, Zoe and Hannah, should be having a pretty healthy diet. But it's not that easy, especially if you eat meat and fish. Come with us on our local shop. Well, it's a bit expensive, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. If you want to get, like, lean stuff, you just just can't afford it, can you? It's like 5% minced beef is around... Seven pounds. Then
1: if you get like, fatty you. meats, you can't eat it anyway because... It's, it's all fat, yeah.
0: yeah. Like, I bought salmon the other day. It was like, four pounds, something. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it would only last me for about four days. So we have picked up some pasta because pasta is quite cheap.
2: And that's a good student meal.
0: It's yeah. staple. And we can make it last There's an expiry date on it. And we picked up some sauce as well. Little's, um... um we don't really tend to go for branded stuff, do we? Because no. it's just, again, it's just more expensive. And it tastes the exact same. Yes. Um, we picked up some juice, some orange juice, which should last us the week. We've got some eggs. Like Hannah's got some canchuna. And we have picked up our mushrooms for the week. Of course. So we get some form of veg. And we're about to pay. Back at the house, Zoe is at the stove. So how's the pasta going, Zoe? Me and Hannah are just watching. Burn. <laughs> it's burning. We're burning the pasta. The pasta. Is it the house? Easily done, easily yeah. done. Oh, should we have garlic bread with it? I've mm-hmm. got garlic bread in the fridge. In the freezer even. And I think I've got a pack of lettuce in the fridge. Balance it out. Yeah, balance it out. Right, are are going to have burnt pasta (laughs) with garlic bread and to be fair, it's not that burnt, it's just a bit crispy (laughs) but you know it's not funny everyone has the right to good, healthy food and we just can't afford it Hannah told me how that makes her feel Pretty rubbish why? you feel like tired Mm. and how often do you guys cook? every day what do you find that you cook most? rice chicken chicken yeah omelettes yeah i has a lot of omelettes mm. is that like enough for you to eat oh. for dinner you can eat it late so it's fine what do i normally eat i have a lot of pasta and potatoes i've got like, a lot of potatoes a oh, i a good spud it's cheap it's just like you get a pack of spuds get some beans buy some cheese that's me sorted for the week
1: we are at the point where we go oh no we need to put 15 pounds on the electric meter what can we have that's really cheap and easy to eat tonight.
0: Kathleen is a mum of one of my fellow food ambassadors at the Food Foundation and is already worrying about how to feed her family. Watching food and energy prices going up and hearing all the stories in the news about how it's just going to get worse makes her feel really vulnerable.
1: I'm not in charge of anything that's causing this. I'm not in charge of any of the governmental decisions that have brought this about. And my earning potential is only so much. There's only so many hours in the week. So I'm powerless to combat this on my own. It's not in my control and not having that control over my own personal finances and my own future and what I'm able to do with the little money I have is terrifying
0: anyone who has ever wondered where their next meal is coming from will know how she feels i've been hungry plenty of times but kathleen explained what happened last time the world turned upside down and she didn't know how to feed her family
1: with the 2008 recession my husband was made redundant and unfortunately we were caught in a perfect storm at the time and with his redundancy I was also diagnosed with precancerous cells and had to have a mastectomy. Um, I had several operations on my hip because I was wheelchair bound for a while and that got me walking again, thankfully. But the knock-on effect of all of the surgeries and the general anaesthetics actually caused me to have a heart attack when I was 29 years old and that put me out of work for several years while I recovered, while I got my health back on track, which... with at the time I had four young children so it was very much a case of having to prioritize my health over money I'd always had the greater earning potential between myself and my husband so when I was taken out of work you know and it was a forceful you can no longer work if you work you will end up in a grave so that was terrifying but when we were able to access all of the full benefits within the benefit system we were actually okay it it was it was difficult absolutely but the hardest point was when my husband got a job and it was just over minimum wage and he was bringing home if i remember rightly at the time he was bringing home about 950 pounds a month Our rent was £800 a month. Our council tax was £150 a month. That's already his wages that were gone. And the only benefits I received were £59 a week child tax credit and £40 a week child benefit. So this was it, £99 a week for a family of five. And this is why I came up in the first place with the term the grey area when it comes to the benefit system because the way they deduct the money when you go into work actually means that you're worse off because your expenditure is so much higher. You've got travel costs. Funnily enough, you do actually have to wear clothes for work as well. You're expected to wear, in my husband's case, a shirt and a tie and have a decent pair of shoes. All of this costs money in the first instance, which... We didn't have, you know, so to be able to have any spare money for anything else, we had to pull that out of our food bill. And you end up with a balancing act between the two where you're trying to get enough food and nutrients and keep a diet balanced enough and varied enough. That children will still eat and adults don't cry when they look at their plate but at the same time you have to do that so cheaply that you're still able to put money on the gas and electric and you know we have to be very careful we have to watch the pennies and the thought of going back there now i'm free of it is terrifying
0: these are everyday problems for too many people in the uk And remember, this is the sixth biggest economy in the world, but Kathleen has even more balls to juggle to get her family a good meal.
1: It's a difficult thing to explain, but any parent of a special needs child will know exactly what I'm trying to say at the moment. And They can be very, very funny around their food and their diet, and there's certain things that they could be absolutely starving and they won't eat it. So that adds more pressure onto me, you know, because let's say, whereas with my older three children, I would have been able to get away with just boiling some pasta and adding a tin of tomatoes and some oregano and going, there you go. You know, there's dinner. The youngest one will not touch it. It limits me with the cheaper foods that I'm able to offer. It's not as though they're even asking for junk food or McDonald's. They're asking for healthy, nutritious food that any parent would love to actually feed their child. It's chicken thighs with rice and some salad, perhaps. But of course, that that costs. And I'm in a situation where I'm having to literally offer unhealthier alternatives because they're cheaper and of course then that ramps up the stress within the household as well because then food becomes a source of contention and it's no longer enjoyable it's no longer a family let's eat together especially for me who's having to cook everything So you play very safe and things get very boring and monotonous for the rest of us. But that's how life has to be.
0: Well, we don't think so at the Food Foundation. One of the big ideas that charities, campaigners and other stakeholders who Henry Dimbleby consulted when he was writing the National Food Strategy suggested was a good food bill. Isabel Hughes from the Food Foundation explained.
3: So the National Food Strategy was a really rare moment when the government actually took a little step back. They commissioned an independent advisor, Henry Dimbleby, to do a review of the whole food system. So everything from farm to fork, And uh, the Food Foundation's Young Food Ambassadors have been involved in that process um, as part of the youth consultations that happened for the strategy. Uh, And the Food Foundation has also organised engagement with lots of young people across the UK in schools to feed into that strategy. And the strategy recommended um, all sorts of things to change the food system. Um, But one of the most crucial recommendations that Henry made was that we introduce a new Good Food Bill and that would really set food policy making up in the UK for the future and put in place some of those long-term structures that will help us stay on the right path in the longer term.
0: So what could it mean for people like us students and for Kathleen and for the millions of people who are really scared right now about what the rising cost of living means for them?
3: So a food bill could do all sorts of things. Firstly, um, if the government were to commit to a new food bill, it would really show that they were serious about fixing the food system. It kind of pushes food right up the priority list. Secondly, it could provide a vehicle delivering all sorts of different policies and putting in place the legal structures, the laws that are needed to to introduce those policies into the food system. Um, And then finally, and maybe most importantly, it could um, put in place accountability structures and targets. Uh, this is kind of sound really boring, but they're really important. So we could set out in law where we're going with food. We could agree what we're trying to achieve with the food system. And the bill could require businesses and the government to collect data so that we can check that we're making progress. Um, and it could put in place structures that mean that the government isn't marking its own homework so that um, independent organisations can be checking whether the government is meeting its targets and making sure that we're on the right track.
0: We ambassadors talk to MPs a lot about what the frontline of food poverty looks like. We've all been there, and although they listen to us, it's really hard to be heard. Isabel told me what the problem is. Well, there are 16 different
3: government departments that are currently involved in making food policy in England. We've got the Department for Education making policy on school food. We've got DEFRA making policy on agriculture. Um, We've got the Treasury introducing taxes around food. But nobody's really talking to each other, um, and there's no single strategy that's pulling that all together into one coherent, consistent piece that will enable us to push things forward over the longer term and there's no overarching legal framework um, or national strategy on food at the moment um, and no system for holding the government accountable for what they're doing on food policy Um, and we know that fixing the food system will require that kind of consistent long-term focus we're talking about um detangling economic and behavioural structures that have become embedded over decades and that doesn't just happen overnight so it requires that focus
0: of vision beyond electoral cycles. Well just over the border in Scotland where government is less bogged down by a centuries old system guess what they've already got a good food bill pretty much up and running We've already heard Pete Ritchie from Nourish Scotland in a previous episode of Right to Food tell us how Universal Free School Meals is an opportunity to bring locally grown produce into schools to invest in the next generation. Pete explains how the initiative is part of a whole new vision.
2: What Scotland's doing next couple of weeks is passing a framework law on food. In other words, what it's saying is we need to join up food policy across health, across environment, across social justice, across climate change, across food waste. And we need to have a national food plan that does that joining up. And importantly, we need to have local food plans. Every local authority, every health board is going to be required to, to come up with its food plan that cuts across all those issues. And we've got some principles in the bill which are still actually being amended and strength- strengthened as we talk. But about this being about um, ensuring healthy, sustainable food for everybody, about living in harmony with the planet, about fair work principles. It's, you know, it's got all the right words, I think, are coming into the bill. Um, and there is an intention at least – to create a, a food system that's sort of fit for the 21st century that meets people's needs and now and into the future.
0: And they're not bothered about the too-many-departments argument.
2: You need ministers from different departments to align their food policies. And it's things like some of the boring things that have to go with that, which is like an interministerial group on food. It's not just taking food policies and stapling them together. It's looking at the food system as a whole and asking a question... If we wanted to design a food system that nourished everybody in the UK, everybody in England, everybody in Scotland, and helped the planet and made good jobs, how would we design it? You know, what would it look like? And you have to have that vision of what it would look like and then go, okay, how do we get there from here? It's going to be difficult because the food system we've got wasn't designed to do that. It's emerged really from you know, produce and hope, and then companies controlling a huge amount of the supply chain, you know, all sorts of pressures which have made the food system we've got, and the problems we've got in the food system. It's a miracle of human ingenuity that people get to eat. And at the same time, it's messing up the planet. And too many people at the moment in the UK are not getting to eat, and they're worrying themselves sick about being able to put food on the table. That is just not acceptable. And when you we, – we always go back, we look at 1947, 1948, and we go, so – If in 1947 we'd said, like John Boyd always said, let's have a national food service, not just a national health service, where would we be now? Because we'd have a very different way of doing food. Um, So it's not too late. We can go back and change it.
0: But food poverty is about not having enough money in your pocket. And we need wages to rise to keep up with the cost of living. Pete says it's about government priorities.
2: It's multi-level security, isn't it? So fundamentally, we need to put pensions and social security benefits in this country up to somewhere near the typical level for country of our income levels. You know, we're nowhere near. You know, we're, depending on how you calculate, but we're half or a third of what other countries at our income levels in, if you like, in the EU would be paying their citizens. So we need to raise those. We need to keep pushing wages up and i mean one good thing that's been happening amid all the chaos is that wages for some jobs have gone up significantly because we need them you know we need people to to pick vegetables we need people to drive lorries we need people to work in social care and we're actually then rewarding them for much nearer you know, a bit nearer what the jobs are really worth so that's good but we need more of that um And and then we need to make sure that some of the other costs of living are also being controlled because the crisis at the moment is being driven a little bit by food prices, but mostly by fuel prices. And other governments, again, across Europe have come in and said, no, we're going to stop this hitting people's pockets. We're going to – we've got people's backs. At the moment, we've got no evidence that the government's really got people's backs on this. So they're just seeing what happens and what's happening at the moment is families are terrified because there's nothing worse than, you know, being destitute, thinking, I don't know where I can borrow money from, I can't get to the end of the week, and living with that week after week after week. It's bad for people's health, it's bad for their mental health, it's bad for their kids, it's bad for their relationships, and it's not necessary, you know, and I think that's the thing. This sort of austerity, precarity is a choice, it's a political choice. We can have a quarter of our population living in fear, or we cannot. You know, that's a choice. It is about rights. It's about expectations. It's about what social security means. You know, we, have, we used to have a Department of Health and Social Security. Now we have a Department of Work and Pensions in the UK that is really significantly different because social security means that push comes to shove somebody's going to take care of you. You know, we saw that with homeless people during the pandemic. Greater Manchester said homeless people, no, you can come off the street, we're going to put you up. We've got your back, right? And so food security ultimately is about people having your back because everybody's going to go through tough times. But what you need to know is that somebody's got your back. And we have that with the health service. I mean, even, you know, it got so under pressure during the pandemic. There's such long waiting lists now, but fundamentally still people in the UK believe that. The health service has got their back. I mean, they might grumble, they might complain about waiting lists, but at the end of the day, they feel it's on their side. It's going to do the right thing by them. And the food system, people don't feel that. They don't feel there's anywhere to go. There's just a hole opens up underneath people to go, you could just run out of food and nobody cares. Nobody's going to help you out of this hole. It's your problem. And I think so food security at its heart is a psychological thing. It's knowing that, you know, if things are tough, you're not going to go without food. Your family's not going to go without food. You're not going to have to go begging for food. You're not going to have to take the only food that's available. If it's somebody else's cast off food, you're actually going to be able to eat good food, you know, and that's guaranteed. Just like your kids can go to school, you know, that's guaranteed. You know, you can turn up the GP. That's guaranteed. You can eat good food. That's guaranteed. It's not too much to ask.
0: Right, that's it. I'm moving to Scotland when I finish uni. Pete says that although there's a lot to be done, it's a vision of a good food future.
2: This is not the land of milk and honey, but government has done some good things. So practically... They've introduced the child payment, £10 a week for every child. They've doubled it to £20 a week, and it's going up to £25 a week and be extended, I think, to children up to age of 16 at the same time. So that's real money in people's pockets, real cash they're getting that they wouldn't get otherwise. They've done things like mitigated the bedroom tax. They've made lots of things to try to cushion that. They've introduced new benefits for carers. And they've also said really clearly in the Social Security Act, for example, social security is an investment in the people of Scotland. We try in Scotland not to talk about benefits. We talk about social security because I said earlier, that's the deal between citizens and the state. That's where we're trying to get to, that you feel secure. The state's got your back. And that's the deal that a lot of other European citizens feel very strongly. They've got that. We sort of don't quite have that strongly here. So Scotland's trying to make progress on that. And it's made some really clear statements. For example, it's just published a report on ending the need for food banks, you know, saying we really don't want to have anybody in Scotland having to rely on a food bank anymore. It's not part of our system. We're going to do everything we can to prevent that. And that's the child payment, it's things like the Scottish Welfare Fund, which still exists, where you can simply go to the local authority and say, I'm in a crisis, can you help? And you can get cash. Um, and then further up the tier, there's other things. So it's like a series of safety nets, you know, finer and finer safety nets. Um, we don't know, you know, the the, the the less of those people need, the better. you know. But there are things we can do about reducing the other costs of living. Scottish government's done quite a lot on trying to reduce the cost of school day, on things like free period products, all those things which actually take a little bit of pressure off people, make life a little bit easier for them. And then some of the places where we've seen real impact is where councils have insulated people's houses for them, you know, and actually drastically cut their fuel bills by putting external cladding on blocks of flats. Fuel bills go down, people have got money in their pocket, they can breathe. People need to be able to breathe.
0: Back in Westminster, things are not looking quite as rosy. Isabel from the Food Foundation has her ear to the ground.
3: So at the moment we're hearing uh, that the upcoming food strategy won't commit to a new food bill. Um, We understand that the government's thinking about introducing various policy changes, but not introducing a new food bill and taking that step back and really thinking about what they can be doing to put in place the structures that mean we make progress over the longer term responding to the national food strategy putting in place a good food bill is a really rare opportunity for the government to take a step back to put in place that long-term approach at the moment they're jumping from crisis to crisis there's obviously all of the disruption that's happening because of the ukraine war we know that food insecurity levels are rising really rapidly and the government is understandably really concerned by all of that and officials are working very hard to um, think about what they can do to alleviate those pressures on on families. But we know that disruption is only going to get worse. Uh, We're likely to face future pandemics, the climate is worsening, Uh, food price rises might become more common in the future. So the government shouldn't just be thinking about the short term. They really need to take a step back and think about what they can be doing to fix the food system once and for all over
0: the longer term. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about our campaign for children's right to food and more about what you can do to get involved in making real change happen, go to foodfoundation.org.uk to read our research and follow us on social media at Food Foundation.